The Last Word with Matt Cooper. We're delighted to be joined for the Culture Club today by a meteorologist. A meteorologist who's so well known to you from her appearances on television, letting us know the weather forecast. Also wrote a children's book, The Great Irish Weather Book, back in 2018. But now she has an adult book, From Malinhead to Mizzenhead. Joanna Donnelly, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you very much for having me, Matt. I'm laughing at the idea of a children's book and an adult book. <laughs> it's all the same stuff. It's all the same data, but sure. Yeah, but it's it presented is. a little oh, differently, isn't it? Of course it is. Of course it is, yeah. Drawings. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the new book, though. What yeah. prompted it? Um, a few different things, actually. Uh, the first thing was probably that I read uh, Charlie Connolly's book, The Attention All Shipping, which is uh, not about the weather. It's about uh, places that Charlie Connolly travelled. He's a, a comedy writer, and he. but it was a great book. And then I thought, oh, I haven't been to lots of places in Ireland because I spent all my time going to the Netherlands with my husband and the kids. And then there was more. Um, I was coming out of the first year of my mom's sudden death and... I had these urges to run away and uh, just, you know, put distance between myself and how I was feeling. And so I did. I ran away to Loop Head. That's the first chapter in the book. And that was a really great success. So I thought, well, I'm going to do that again. And, uh, you know, kind of inspired by Charlie's book and circumstances that I was in at the time myself. What I do is explain the weather. That's what I do 100% of my time. My leisure time is spent telling people why it's cold in the in, in the UK and not cold here and why it's warm in the UK and not warm here. I, that's, my, that's my life, basically, explaining the weather. And I love doing it and I think I'm quite good at it. Just given you by the, the thank you by the wait, I was paused for reaction, <laughs> wait, <laughs> waiting for validation there. But um, I think I am just by the reaction from the people that I explain the weather to. They go, oh, I never thought about it like that. So um, yeah, I wanted to make the book then for the adults. So this book is a kind of a combination of the travelling that that Charlie Connolly inspired me to do um, with his book and the weather, which is what I love to talk about, the sciences, history in there. And there's people in there, which, you know, I think most people are interested in people and the stories that people can tell us and the experiences people have. So there's a lot of people in my book as well, where I went to these places and people. All these places, the headlands that you went to, Loophead, Slinehead, Erishead, Bloody Foreland, Malinhead, Fairhead, all these things that were familiar, the names were familiar with from the weather forecasts, are they still important for data gathering and contributing to weather forecasts now that we have so much satellite imaging and far more extensive technology to draw upon to form a weather forecast? You know, Matt, we have all the technology in the world we have satellites, we have radar, we have the computer processing power to do such amazing things. And even in the 28 years since I've been doing this job, the advance in technology has been incredible. But if you don't have the data to put into the models, then the models can't run. So the data is the observed weather. Um, now, we observe weather from the surface to the atmosphere and the satellites come into that but we also measure weather. We measure at the ground what the wind speed, direction, humidity, um, our air pressure is, and we still do that. Those coastal reports that came in in the mid-19th century from Valencia, from, at that time, Loophead, Erishead, they're still coming in from Valencia, Belmullet, Malinhead, those same reports giving the same data since the mid-19th century. Okay. Looking forward to reading the book. 
Let's go through your choices for the Culture Club. We ask every guest, and we've been doing this for about five years now at this stage, to nominate the first single that they ever remember buying or admit to buying. So what's yours? Yeah, Karma Chameleon by Culture Club. Um, I think we were having a hop, and that's the song I bought to have it. It was very popular. Let's hear a bit of it. good first single to be able to nominate isn't it isn't it still it's still as good today isn't it it's a great song i can still picture myself in my little parents front living room dancing with the lads great now i see from my notes you're one of these people who has almost chafed at the idea of having to nominate one thing as a response to each question that you've got an enormous amount of candidates when it comes to things like favorite album or favorite band or artist but you have gone for a favourite album. And I like the explanation that you have. You've gone for Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. Why so? Yeah. Well, apart from the fact that obviously it's a brilliant album, um, I was turning 15 that year that uh, Bruce Springsteen brought that album out. And I think that's the time in our lives when we become the person, the shape of the person that we're going to be. And I think we all if we examine our, our life and our history, we'll think that the songs and the music that we listened to when we were 15 was the best music that was ever produced. Even people that were listening to, you know, I don't know, Kylie Minogue. <laughs> I don't mean Kylie Minogue. Oh God, I don't mean Scratch that. I don't mean that. But you know, the the, the um, Stock Aiken and Wartman music. If you were 15 when that was in the charts, that's the impression. It's imprinted on us, isn't it? As the best time of our lives, the best music of our lives, just because that was the age when we were becoming who we are now as adults. But Born in the USA remains a brilliant album and it would have been for a lot of people who love it who weren't 15 at the time when it came (laughs) out. But that's true. In in addition, I was very lucky. I was actually very lucky because I have two older brothers. One was into punk. Alan was into Bruce Springsteen. So I had a great influence in my life from, you know, when you have an older sibling, you get their music. So I was very, very lucky. And of course, Born in the USA is a fantastic album. And you can listen to every song on that album in order. And it's every one of them is brilliant. Let's hear the theme track.
Bruce Springsteen born in the USA. So as I alluded to, you couldn't give us a favourite band or artist. You gave us a lengthy list. <laughs> give us uh, some examples of the type of music you're into. Oh God, uh, and and that's it. Because I, I said my older brother was punk, my uh, and my other brother, and then my mom was very into music as well. So I had Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. I had um, uh, the the Aerosmith and the Bruce Will, Bruce Springsteen. I had my own music was Duran Duran and Depeche Mode. It couldn't be more diverse. I think if I could try to make a more diverse list of all the bands and. Music, music that I love um, and I you know to make people choose one it's like asking the next question what's your favourite anything you just like to pick one it's, it's what's your favourite child <laughs> no 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 it's cruel. well you also have in the list because you had madness there as well because we've chosen a little bit of madness music from the list you initially gave us let's hear a little bit of one step beyond hey you don't watch that watch this the heavy, heavy monster sound. The Nazis sound around. So if you're coming off the street and you're beginning to feel the heat, well, listen, Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockiness, rock steady beat of madness. I'm told you got to go to a Madness concert recently. Yeah, only recently, and it was absolutely fantastic. I was dancing like a lunatic. I thought I was uh, unknown there, and it turned out afterwards, after the end, the guy standing beside me said, I can't believe I spent the night dancing with you and Donnie. I was oh, if I'd known I was making <laughs> such a show myself. But uh, uh, dancing my, dancing out my shoes, as uh, Joan Cartacash said, it was just fan. They were incredible. You wouldn't think that they were doing this, whatever, 40, 50 years. They were amazing. You have loads of gigs for us mm. that you remember, <laughs> particularly going back to the 1980s. Well, I was at the gig. I was, um, you know, the, the everybody, they said if everybody that was actually claiming to be at the first uh, Beatles gig, that you know, they couldn't have possibly been. But I was at Slane um, in 1985 when Bruce Springsteen uh, played for his Born Run. Uh, born the USA tour and um, I read his autobiography and he said that that, that gig terrified him because I think they sold some, like 20-30,000 tickets and about 80,000 people turned up and it was the sun was shining the, the mountain was bouncing it was unreal and I was there Great. Okay, and you were also in Croke Park a couple of years later oh, for yeah, Simple that was, Minds. That was brilliant too. Um, that was celebrating the, my leaving cert in 1987 and at the end of that gig, and if anybody that was there will remember, there was a, a thunderstorm, which you're aware in those days. Not so much anymore, but very rare to, to see lightning storms. And um, he was singing, you know, the, the way at the end of the, the Breakfast Club where they use that album and um, Judge... Don't you forget yeah, about me. Yeah, and he points at the sky at the end. You know, he does that big salute to the air. And um, I've forgotten the name of the lead singer. 
of uh, Jim Kerr. Jim Kerr uh, it was, was singing Don't You Forget About Me and he did that move and he pointed up into the sky, a big dramatic point and the sky lit up this huge thunderstorm cracked right overhead at exactly that point and we all thought it was part <laughs> of the show. <laughs> I was like, wow, how did we do that? <laughs> it was fantastic. And, and, and it's lovely to see that the list you gave us, a lot of the other gigs that you remember ones that you went with your mother to. Yeah, as I said earlier, she was very much into music. She loved music and I had the thrill and pleasure to be able to bring her to a few gigs. Rod Stewart a few years ago was absolutely amazing. I mean, these guys, I went to Rod Stewart, we went to Lionel Richie, Dolly Parton, oh my God. Um, they were fantastic. And you know, these people are mega superstars for a reason. You know, they deliver a really, really cracking show. So they were some of the best gigs I've ever been at. I think Dolly Parton played 21 musical instruments and danced and danced all night. She was amazing. It was fantastic. There's one more band that you had on the list and I'm going to play a little bit of them first and then you can tell us why you enjoy them so much. Here's Depeche Mode doing Personal Jesus live in Berlin. songs, although there's an argument that maybe Johnny Cash's version is even better as a cover. Mm. Tell us, John Donnelly, why you love Depeche Mode so much. Well, apart from the fact that that's very self-explanatory there, if you listen to that, that's them live in Berlin. I was uh, at, at Malahide Castle this summer, they were live there. I've been at many of their concerts uh, over the years. These uh, This band's been going since the 80s and I remember seeing them being interviewed um, and they were a little bit resentful of the, the media kind of writing them off. They're not really up front and centre as being a hugely popular, brilliant band. They're kind of written off as being an 80s band. But these guys are still touring and they are absolutely phenomenal live. They are... You might not think it because it's such, you know, their their music is so um, technology-based or whatever, but they are apps. 
they, you'd nearly pass out with the excitement at their gigs. They are incredible live. You do love your music. But again, you're a bit annoyed with us in trying to get you to nominate a favourite movie because I think you wanted to give us about 100. <laughs> the top 100 IMDb movies, that'll do. That'll do the list. It's very hard. It doesn't mean you have to subcategorise so much. I mean, what category are you talking about? I mean, you can't just say one favourite movie. Again, it'd be like picking a child. It's just impossible. Go on. Impossible. So, give, give us an example. Okay. Say, for example, if we were going to go for comedy, what sort of things would you go for? I love, uh, you know, I think comedy, don't they say it's the hardest one to do? And there's a film called The Money Pit with Tom Hanks and Shelley Long. And the two of them are such visual comedians. You know, they've got physical comedy. And that movie where the two of them just are all over this. They are absolutely hilarious. I think I might have wet myself when I watched that before okay. because it was so funny. It's And I still laugh hysterically every time I watch it. They are two really wonderful actors, as we know. I mean, Tom Hanks has kind of proved his, his, his worth over the years, but his physical comedy is, is second to none. He's fantastic. Hilarious. Okay, because it's very much a visual uh, enjoyment, we don't have a <laughs> clip from that. So we do have a clip from another movie which you can tell us about in a moment. And it's got Dolly Parton in it and Daryl Hannah, Sally Field, Olympia Dukakis. Let's hear a little bit from Steve, Steel Magnolias. I have to admit, Marshall did go about it the wrong way. He marched in. And without so much as a hello, he said, Mom and Daddy, I have something to tell you. I have a brain tumor. I have three months to live. Well, naturally, Drew and Bell became hysterical. Then he said, hey, folks, I'm only kidding. I'm just gay. That was his idea of breaking the news gently? Marshall was always there at theatrical. I wonder what Drew and Bell must be feeling about all of this. I don't know. They have considered themselves a model family for so long. First, Nancy Beth dethroned from her Miss Merry Christmas title because of that unfortunate motel thing. What motel thing? I don't live here anymore, remember? Oh, oh Nancy Beth was discovered in a local motel with a high political official. They were both high. They've been smoking everything but their shoes. She's the first Miss Merry Christmas in history to be caught with her tinsel down around her knees. It was a big movie at the time. Tell us about it and does it still do it for you, Joanna? Yeah, at the time, the reason it made my list is, and it still is, the film that made me cry the most. I had the misfortune to watch this with my friend's family and um, myself and my friend's brother were having a little bit of a romantic relationship on the sly that nobody knew about. But I was, you know, there trying to be so cool and then I watched this movie and I started crying. (laughs) Not you know, those ugly, sobbing, snot-written tears and I'm trying to trying to cry delicately. But it was so sad when Sally Field buries her daughter. I was hysterical with grief. It's an amazing performance. It's a wonderful film. You've given us on your list the likes of The Godfather and Lord of the Rings and the Avengers movies, but you do seem to have a real thing, don't you, for the old musicals and the likes of the Fred Astaire's. Absolutely. I watch um, two movies religiously for Christmas. One is The Holiday Inn and the other is um, White Christmas. And that's for the dancing, for Fred Astaire's dancing in um, Holiday Inn and 
Danny Kay dancing in in um, White Christmas. I love the dancing. I could watch people singing and dancing day in, day night. Which is also why you're Carousel on the list. And that brings us to favourite play or theatre show or musical. And you have easily enough for once plenty for something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Top Hat. It's... Um, we, uh, myself and my mum went to the musicals in uh, Borgosh Theatre uh, all the time. Every every one that came out we went and they're all wonderful and Carousel was wonderful too but Top Hat, the production of Top Hat. Now the original movie with uh, Fred Astaire, the dancing with, I think it was Ginger Rogers was in that with them. I can't remember, might be wrong. But um, it was just like floating on heaven it was amazing and the production that we saw in the Borgash Theatre the costumes the sets the dancing the music everything was just heavenly simply heavenly as the song says I was in let's heaven. hear a little bit from the original London cast recording of Top Hat here's that very well known song Putting on the Ritz Have you seen the well to do up and down Park Avenue on that famous star And lots of dollars Spending every dime For a wonderful time If you're blue And you don't know where to go to Why don't you go where fashion sits Put it on the Ritz Different types of wear a day coat Pants with stripes and hot away coat Perfect fits Put it on the Ritz Dressed up like a man From the London cast recording, a top hat. Now, you have picked as a favourite book and author uh, something that has come up occasionally in selections as movie. It's one of the best known movies of all time. But you've gone to the book of Gone with the Wind. Why so? Um, I was listening to a podcast from uh, Malcolm Gladwell and he described something about this book. Um, uh, Margaret Mitchell was killed by a drunk driver afterwards. And he started talking about this book and uh, it being the greatest book. And I knew it as the greatest film and all the rest. And I said, oh, I never thought about reading the book. So I pulled out the book and I read it. Now, it's it's a controversial choice because it is deeply racist and it is. You know, you have to read it knowing that and you have to be horrified by it. You know, I think when we look back into art and uh, history, we can't disregard any part of it because it was um, culturally unacceptable today. It was culturally unacceptable at any time, but it certainly we're, we're, we're much more aware now. And uh, by the way, our future selves will be horrified at what we allow to happen today. Um, so although I'm, you know, trepidatious about promoting Gone with the Wind as a book because of its uh, racial content, um, it needs to be read and you need to be horrified by the racism and enjoy the history, the historical nature of the novel, the characters, the character of Scarlett O'Hara is possibly for me, and I've read an awful lot, one of the best written female characters 
I, I've ever come across. So okay, that's, that's a really good explanation for it all. Okay, favorite TV show. We also ask people to nominate. Going back to as you said, you know, being fifteen is very important and for. And as a teenager, you love Cyril, uh, Sybil Shepherd, and Bruce Willis in Moonlighting. For those who aren't not familiar with it or those who vaguely remember it explain it oh god I remember discovering this TV program and running into my school friends the next day and saying you have to watch this Uh, Bruce Willis was revolutionary in terms of the character he brought to the screens in the 80s this wise cracking smooth talking flirty smart guy totally totally new to what we had seen to date on TV and his chemistry with Sybil Shepherd, who was beautiful, blonde uh, well, you call her posh and well behaved and this spark between the two of them from the very very first episode was just brilliant. I mean Bruce Willis at that point he was so totally unknown he had this kind of and he's st- still I know he's in a a bad way at the moment but he had this kind of unconventionally handsomeness as well you know a mushed up nose he was already going bald back then but he was so so attractive he's still so attractive and she was just such a polished platinum blonde she was beautiful and the the contrast between his unconventional nearly ugly handsomeness and his smart talking and the the battle of the wits between them and it was very very um future-proofed in terms of um, the female presence, the strong female character, and she was having no nonsense with the sexism. It was She was a great character. Maddie Hayes really promoted the idea of female equality at the time. We have a clip, and it's mainly Sybil Shepherd you're going to hear, although you'll also hear Bruce Willis, and this is from the third season of Moonlighting, as their relationship is getting a bit complicated. Mr. Pesto comes in here and makes speeches about how you're falling apart. You walk around like the jilted lover, like the world is coming to an end. Well, you're not the jilted anything, David. You won't even put yourself in the game. It's not fair. You want me to tell you everything, but you tell me nothing. I don't know how you feel. Am I supposed to think because you chased me down the hall that you care about me, that you don't want me to marry Sam? How about we do it all again? Only this time I'll chase you. How do you feel about me, David? How do you feel about all this, David? I have a right to know, don't I? Don't I? Yes, he asked me to marry him. No, I haven't said yes yet. But yes, I'm thinking about it. He's willing to make a commitment to me. How about you? If you want to say something, now's the time to say it. If you want to talk, talk. Come on, David. Speak now, forever hold your peace. Right. Are we through? Sure sounds like it. Sure does. Oh, my heart. (laughs) (laughs) I still have that VHS tape that I made in 1987 of that TV program. I still have it. I haven't got a video recorder, but I still have that tape. (laughs) What have you been watching in recent years as an adult? Oh gosh, I've been re- reading a lot. Um, 
Um, well, obviously, I watched Game of Thrones. I watched Breaking. I, you know, you love people that say, "Oh, I never watched an episode of that," and they're like, "Well, then you're missing out because it's actually brilliant." And that's why everybody's watching it because it's brilliant. Um, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul for the drama. Uh, terrific. They're just they're they're outstanding. Um, what else have I been watching? I don't remember. What did I say? I can't remember. Oh, well, that's it. That is more or less it. Anyway, we we need to finish up and we're going to finish up by what we call the buried treasure, a song, a band, a painting, a podcast, a book, a movie, anything that you think people should know more about. So what are you going for? Um, audiobooks generally um, there's a few podcasts as well that I think you need to listen to I read um, two books called one called Sapiens and the other one called the Shock, Shock Doctrine, Doctrine. Shock Doctrine. Um, if, you listen, if you read or listen to those two books and then you follow the podcast this podcast will kill you and the other one Revolu- uh, Revisionist History if you have all that information you are the most interesting person <laughs> in the room most of the time because it's just that's everything you need to know about everything um, when I first discovered audiobooks I used to think audiobooks were cheating that you weren't really reading but actually you're getting exactly the same and sometimes the better product just through your ears instead of through your eyes and if you're like me and your eyesight is getting worse and worse and worse as you get a little bit older and you're tired this is the answer audiobooks um, I bought my first audiobook by accident it was The Milkman I meant to buy it on Kindle and I got a, an audiobook instead when I realised what treasure I had found the, the first thing I did immediately after and you can check my audio history on my book list was I went to Ulysses by James Joyce because I had started to read Ulysses probably like everybody else, half the population of the country started to read and Ulysses. Didn't finish it. And couldn't finish it because you can't because it's impossible. Um, it, I found out subsequently that it's meant to be read out loud. It's meant to be a performed piece and I had the very great fortune of reading or listening to the audio version of Ulysses read by Jim Norton and afterwards, you know, previously to reading it I used to think that pretentious people were just pretending Ulysses was good just to make themselves sound important. <laughs> you say that's nonsense, this is rubbish but actually it is pretty good and the closing chapter um, Molly Bloom's soliloquy at the end is quite possibly the most emotive reading that you'll ever come across. It's you know, the end. That unfortunately is the end for us. We don't have time and I wish we had to play a little bit of the audio book but you've got me very interested in that as in all of the things you've spoken about. You've been a terrific guest on the Culture Club, Joanna Donnelly. Congratulations on your new book From Malinhead to Head. Thanks for being with us. Thanks very much, Matt. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today and-